0: Hello and welcome to Season 4 of the Bible and Me podcast. This is Episode 7 of 12 in this series. So join us on this journey as we discover some incredible testimonies of people whose lives have been well and truly changed for the calling of God. In this episode, Nigel Watts sits down with Peter Bond, pastor of the Lighthouse Fellowship in Burnham-on-Sea. After almost losing sight in both of his eyes, Peter talks of the blessings of his limited vision and what our nation has lacked in sharing the gospel, among much, much more. The views expressed by the individual in this podcast may not reflect that of Precept Ministries UK. We hope this podcast inspires you in your daily walk and would love it if you could leave a review or rating so that we can encourage more people to the good news of the gospel. Now, without further ado, here's the podcast.
1: Well, I am really very delighted to be welcoming uh, Pastor Peter Bond to the podcast today. Peter is married to Anne. They have five children and 11 grandchildren. Uh, Peter was educated in southwest London. He read music at Bristol University. Uh, Peter trained as a teacher. Uh, He is a concert pianist. Uh, He's been a factory worker, an open-air preacher, and is currently a pastor of the Lighthouse Fellowship uh, in Burnham-on-Sea. Uh, Peter loves uh, playing the piano, um, he also um, loves uh, open air endurance swimming, maybe we'll we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, we'll see, and also taking time out on retreat to wait upon the Lord. Peter, welcome to the programme, lovely to have you with us today. Thank you, Nigel. blessed to be with you. <laughs> so Peter, how how did you become a disciple of Christ and when was that and and, and why do you follow Jesus?
2: (laughs) Well I was 38 years old when I became a Christian that's nearly 32 years ago and I suppose for the most part of that 38 years I would classify myself as a godless uh, Christ rejecting uh, mocking man really and increasingly a man of sinful habits and pursuits which I never speak of but suffice it to say I was a professional man I was a teacher and at the age of 38 I was effectively a man who was living a double life I was one thing in public with my colleagues, with my friends but behind the scenes was, and internally was another story and uh, I suppose the tension. Between those two lives was beginning to uh, tear me apart. Um, I never would have acknowledged sin, but uh, like any deadly disease, you can deny the disease, but you feel the symptoms. And uh, the symptoms of sinfulness, of turning one's back on God, are many and various. In my case, I began to suffer increasingly from bouts of deep and dark depression. At other times, I felt turmoil and disturbance inwardly, uh, and even times when there was an almost overwhelming desire just to cut and run, just to run away from everything. i drive up the road uh, to the school where I was teaching, left turn to the school, And many a morning, Nigel, I could have gladly, I thought, driven on and never come back. Thank God I never did. Hmm. Uh, But uh, in short, I woke, I lived alone at that time in the Somerset town of Glastonbury. I was never into the New Age or anything of that kind. Uh, But that morning, February half-term, I woke and I was facing again the blank dark wall of depression and I suppose something inside me just said I can't do this anymore I can't go on I can't live this way Uh, actually I despised what I'd become I hated what sin had made me Uh, I couldn't uh, get free of the habits and compulsions of my inward life But I come to the end of my tether. And that morning, I did something I'd never done before. I hoiked myself out of that bed. I took a few steps to the bedroom window. And for the first time in my self-centered, sinful life, I spoke to God. Hmm. And I said, Lord, if you're there, that's where I was coming from, if you're there, He is a man, I have no peace, I have no rest, I can't go on. And amazingly, the Christ Jesus that I had spurned, mocked, blasphemed for many years was suddenly present in that room. (laughs) I couldn't touch him, I couldn't see him, Uh, but I knew that Jesus Christ was alive, and he actually touched my heart with a kind of a token of his wonderful peace. Um, I stress at this point, and I feel this is important, I wasn't born again that morning. I wasn't born again. I knew that Jesus Christ was alive. And that did change my thinking. But about ten days after that, he came to me personally and privately once again. And this time he confronted me revealed to me uh, with the fact that I was a captive, I was a prisoner of myself, of my sin, of my lifestyle of the way I was uh, I didn't know the scripture that Christ had come to set the captive free or to bind up the broken hearted uh, but at that point I suppose I simply surrendered I waved the white flag <laughs> I flung Wide the doors of my life, of my mind, of my heart, and the gracious, glorious God of heaven swept into my heart. He became an inward, living reality. Uh, I could almost physically feel the burden of my sins lifted. Mm. And uh, remembering, Nigel, uh, uh, at this point, I uh, had no Bible, had no vocabulary. Mm. Uh, didn't know about being born again or the atoning blood or anything all I knew was that God had come to dwell in my heart and uh, almost immediately uh, when the next week started, this was a a Sunday again, but when the next week started I began to tell my colleagues my friends, my family about this marvellous experience of course some of them wanted to listen and some of them didn't, (laughs) but the excitement of that experience Aww. this with me today uh, I, I never have forgotten that it's unforgettable that passing from death to life and from the kingdom of darkness mm. to the kingdom of God's dear son, mm. wonderful and of course I began to read the Bible go to meetings and different church uh, activities finding out what had happened in my life and for 32, nearly 32 years, I was 38 then thirty two years it's been a wonderful <laughs> not always painless experience of walking with the Lord oh. and Jesus christ just a wonderful song. highly recommend
1: oh what an what an incredible story what an incredible story so you got to the end of your tether as it were, and you just I did. and uh, in a sense there's the, there 's that spiritual hunger when you cried out to God you know god if if you are there yeah. And he was there, and he is there. And, um, I mean, just um, for those that may be listening, who may be able to um, understand some of what y- you had gone through uh, and who haven't come to that point of giving their life to Christ in the same way that you had, what would you say to them? They may be listening to this now.
2: I would say that you have to come to the end of your I think, in a sense, you have to realize that uh, everything in this world, some of it's beautiful, some not so beautiful, but there has to be a realization, I think, in the heart, I need God. I simply uh, cannot go on. Um, I didn't really think about heaven and hell. I didn't think about uh, those kinds of issues. It was almost an instinctive sense of need. I think there has to be a revelation of need in that heart. Mm. To someone who's seeking, I would say seek on. Yeah. Um, I've seen folks kind of prayed into the kingdom or pronounced in the kingdom. Uh, I firmly believe, as with the Apostle Paul, there has to be in some form, perhaps not so spectacular, but there has to be a meeting point with the Savior himself. Mm. He is sovereign. He saves sovereignly. Uh, if someone could have persuaded me into the kingdom, somebody else persuade me out of it. You know. <laughs> There has to be <laughs> a personal uh, encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And to a seeker, I would say, well, yes, read the Bible, uh, seek those who know him, listen to his word, listen to testimony. But essentially it comes down to the individual seeking the Lord while he may be found, calling upon him while he is near. Of course, let the wicked turn from his own ways and the unrighteous man from his thoughts. There has to be a repentance. But he'll abundantly pardon. And I think it's good to bear in mind he wants to save us. He wants us to meet him. He wants to come into our lives. Uh, He longs for that Mm. intimacy. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. Just Mm. keep seeking and seek out those who know him. Uh, get into the word if you start to read the Bible. Sometimes he just begins to speak to a person. Yeah. And uh, yep. quicken his word
1: to you. Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, I want to take you back to the time when uh, you, you studied uh, music at Bristol University. Clearly, you had a gift for music. Um, and you then completed uh, teacher training at St. Paul's College in Cheltenham. And you had various teaching posts in the, in the 1970s and 1980s. Uh, I, I mean, how would you characterize this time? in your life?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I'd gone as a junior scholar uh, while still at school to the Royal College in London and I had this ambition to be a concert pianist. Uh, there's an old adage those that can do and those that can't teach. <laughs> and <laughs> three years um, I think between my piano teacher and myself we decided well Uh, Yeah, some kind of career, but you'll never make the international circuit, you know, it's just not on. But uh, I think, Nigel, in those years, I would say um, I was looking for something, and uh, I had a passion for music, I had a passion for literature, especially poetry, Mm. which I have spent hours trying to write poetry, Uh, but... uh, Uh, I think, looking back, I would say I had a great longing to give myself to one thing. I wanted to lose myself in one thing, to give myself wholly dedicated to one pursuit which would consume and absorb all of my energies and all of my interests and all of my life. I never found it, thank God. Mm. Uh, I thank God to this day, I just wasn't talented enough. Mm. And uh, I see now that the Lord, in a sense, was uh, cornering me, calling me. And, of course, when I came to Jesus Christ and surrendered to him, I found uh, the objective of that search. A Savior, a Lord, um, a Bible, a church, a ministry, uh, but a service which I could give myself to lock, stock, and barrel unstintingly and uh, of course the Bible says the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow with it (laughs) and uh, almost every other pursuit had its sorrows but this one, well it has Mm. (laughs) difficult times but there's always a sense of his wonderful presence and blessing
1: lovely, lovely now um, I want to take you to 1989 1989 was a big year for you Um, I've got two questions related really one is you married Anne uh, with whom you have been married since that time. Uh, um, but you had both come out of broken marriages um, uh, before you came to know the Lord. Um, what do you believe the Bible teaches about remarriage, uh, and, and how did this affect your decision to marry
2: Anne? I know this is a bit of a hot potato, but in my case, I suppose I would say, and I would counsel others, Uh, Whatever happened in my past life, God has dealt with. Um, I don't believe I'm answerable to him uh, for anything on Judgment Day that took place before I was saved. It was just part of the general mess of my sin life. And uh, thank God, by the atoning blood and repentance and forgiveness, he has totally wiped the slate. And uh, if you come to the uh, born-again Christian, the uh, minefield begins to come into view on remarriage. But I personally believe the Bible teaches, and I know there are others who would not agree with me, but uh, there is no divorce and remarriage except for the cause of fornication, uh, which brings a breach in that union. Now, uh, I have counseled folks along that line uh, but before salvation, I would say very clearly after all, one could have been uh, a terrorist, uh, I knew some in Northern Ireland, uh, a child abuser, all sorts of things, uh, could have been as promiscuous uh, as next door's cat, you know. But once <laughs> the blood has come and cleansed that sinner, yeah. uh, then we start as a brand new man, a new creature mm. in Christ, and I regard. Uh, and myself as, in a sense, a first marriage mm. in the law because uh, we were both brand-new creatures on
1: our wedding day. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. Wonderful. Now, uh, you uh, also, in 1989, uh, you took up a role as an assistant minister of Pilgrim's Rest Elkton in Virginia, in, in the USA. How on earth did that come about?
2: <laughs> I think I'd have to say here, Nigel, that Um, when it comes to the calling of God, I have a feeling that the calling is born into you when you're born again. Uh, It's a seed. And from the very earliest times, I knew that I had to be a preacher. And uh, God was drawing me that way. Uh, We got involved with a ministry, which I'll not say much about at all. Uh, And in that ministry, that mission team, We found ourselves in America, various lengths of time, mission work, tent missions. I love the tent missions, the old sawdust trail, as they used to call it, under the canvas there. And from that tent mission came a drawing of a group of people, and a church was formed, uh, which the minister who was heading up the team became the pastor of. And uh, in the economy of that work, in its early times, uh, he called upon me to preach uh, very regularly, once a week generally, and uh, assist in visitation, hospital visiting and counselling. It was a learning curve, Nigel, really. It was cutting my teeth, I suppose, and learning the ropes of ministry without having the full responsibility.
1: Yeah, yeah. Good. Now, o- over the years, you have done various jobs um, in factories. Um, <laughs> uh, quite, quite a difference from, you know, teaching in schools and, 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 uh, and the like. In what ways has working in factories helped you in your role as a Christian leader?
2: Very much. Uh, if you enjoy a Terry's chocolate orange, <laughs> just pray over the next one I may have packed. <laughs> 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 but... Um, Coming from the academic, intellectual uh, staff of an independent public school, uh, it was wonderful. God led us both, my wife and myself. Uh, we had to earn money. And so we went down to an agency, and we worked in Terry's Sweet Factory in New York, <laughs> a cardboard box factory, dry fruit factory, sandwich making factory, candle factory, and on and on, just wherever they sent us. And for me particularly, it was wonderful to come from, I suppose, in a sense, being somebody. You know, the public school teacher, the standing, the academic background, the staff room, all that went with that. Uh, Just to don the overalls. (coughs) Uh, in a food factory, of course, I had to wear a hairnet and a beard snood <laughs> to keep the hairs from falling into the food. And very Not
1: something you would have worn in, in the staff room.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. And the old mob cap, you know. And you looked to write ninny, really. But um, And to stand under the clock in with everyone else, half past seven, six o'clock, whatever shift you were on, and to stand as the least of the least under the factory clock waiting for a supervisor to say you come with me I'll put you on this belt and so you packed sweets. you did all kinds of things radio one in the background the jokes and the language and just an absolute eye opener but I think it helped me Nigel to identify with folks uh, to feel for them to be among them to be a nobody which is wonderful and to learn to hold a Christian testimony in an environment where uh, playing the game and working the system was the rule, Uh, and to avoid all that, to refuse to do some things, uh, but nonetheless to relate to people. I once worked, for example, with a man, just he and I on a particular job, and uh, sadly he had spent time in prison. He'd murdered his wife. It was a crime of passion. And uh, those kinds of incidents one remembers. And uh, sometimes a witness, I never went round just uh, imposing belief, they knew what I was. Uh, but uh, you got the chance to witness, but just be in the hurly burly and to learn we work for £3.50 an hour or nearly £4 an hour sometimes in those days. And just to be completely one of the crowd, rank yeah. and file, nobody, and to be a Christian in the midst of that. Helps yeah. me to relate to people who now work in perhaps rather more humble settings. Mm, mm,
1: yeah, or. yeah, that's that's really great to hear. Now, in the late 1990s, um, whilst in Northern Ireland, you lost the useful sight in your left eye, and in the early 2000s, whilst working as a peripatetic piano teacher for Somerset County Council, you had a major operation on your right eye. Mm. So my question related to this is how, how did you and how do you cope with this and, and where is God in all of this um, because sight is such an important thing
2: uh, Both um, incidents were co- uh, detached retinas, the left eye completely detached of course, the right eye they managed to save because I knew the signs and had an emergency operation um, I'm not being funny here or digging or poking at any uh, when the first incident came of course precious uh, well-meaning Christians came to me uh, you know sometimes the thought could be well what have you done? Yes. Have you sinned? Yes. You know? And uh, others were saying well uh, God will heal you uh, I think every scripture to do with eyesight of the Bible was brought to me I'm exaggerating there that uh, you shouldn't have an operation just trust God and all this um, uh, my simple view was Uh, and I remember saying this to myself first and then to others, I said, this must be the best thing that could happen to me because God is my Father. And the wisdom of it is so far beyond my understanding, and yet I see so many benefits in it. Uh, One benefit, uh, if I could say in a gentle way, is this, there's lots of things out there in the world I don't want to see too clearly <laughs> oh. um, <laughs> say no more Yes. But, um, I live in a seaside town in the summer for example, there's lots of things out there yes. you don't want to see too clearly, uh, but on the upside in terms of ministry uh, it has severely limited my capacity for close Uh, book work and study. I could work in the mornings. I have a a one-eyed reading pair of glasses. But uh, I have found that it's driven me, in a sense, into much more meditation and memorizing of the Word of God, uh, waiting before God and simply saying, Lord, what do you want to say? Uh, I can refer to concordance, to commentaries, to encyclopedias, other books and so forth, uh, but not in any Uh, ongoing, consistent sense. I just haven't got the eye power, the stamina in the right eye is not there. And so it's been a kind of a a limitation which has borne its own particular fruit. Gosh. Uh, I can't really preach from notes. Very often the light's not good enough or the pulpit height is not there. Mm. I just can't pull the notes into reality from the pulpit uh, and deliver... And so much of my preparation work has to be just ingesting hmm. uh, the Word and working extempore, and from the passage in Scripture. I have a four-volume, giant, super-giant print Bible which I read and study from. Uh, so it's been a very interesting uh, number of years, and uh, I firmly believe the Lord has organized that for me, for my benefit and for the benefit of others. One of the great benefits is being pressed in a way to memorise passages of Scripture, Yeah, which yeah. I have uh, consistently done since I lost that first eye.
1: Goodness me. What an incredible attitude. What a wonderful, wonderful attitude to, to take that well, as such, uh, as from the Lord, that actually it's for your best. I mean, that really is very humbling to hear, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you have had not had any formal theological training per se, but uh, you cite the School of Christ International as your main and consistent theological input. Uh, What is it about this particular school that's been such a blessing to you?
2: Uh, Joking apart, of course, I do say that I've been to St Mary's College, which is simply sitting at the feet of Jesus. (laughs) And uh, we'll come on to the word of God, I know, but uh, I do believe that the genuine ministry of the word must come from the communication of the mind of God through that vessel and by revelation of his spirit. The School of Christ International was begun in the 90s by a marvellous old uh, Assemblies of God, American Texan man of God called Pastor B. H. Clayton Denon. He's gone to glory now. In his 70s he Uh, had pastored for over 35 years, felt the call of God to go to Russia after the Iron Curtain came down and preach the gospel. It was wide open. Uh, From his endeavours, he realised there was a fantastic hunger but also a fantastic ignorance. Of course, communism has suppressed the scriptures. He said you could pay a parking fine with a tract." Uh, you could buy uh, fuel for the car with, with a New Testament. You know, you could. Uh, such was the hunger, and he realised that folks were getting saved, but they were untaught. Or folks in the uh, churches, underground churches. Some of them uh, were dead keen, but had no real background teaching of a methodical kind. And so he just, I think, he rented an old KGB building to start with, and just had uh, folks coming in. He taught them from morning noon and night. And from that um, intense injection of the Word of God, uh, he was able to send out men back to where they'd come from to start churches and to raise up bodies of Christ. And it began as just a response to need, really, and grew into uh, a series of teachings, about 153 teachings, uh, which take place in a residential school setting run that school ourselves in Romania. My wife and I have run that in Romania. And I would say the chief characteristic, he was a very straight, uh, old-fashioned, lovely man of God. He was excellent on the very basics of uh, Christianity, the blood, the cross, the Holy Ghost, paths to power, living in the victory and so forth. Uh, all of these marvellous topics which he dealt with, the Church, of course, he dealt with in great depth. Uh, And somehow, I suppose, if I could single out one thing about him, he was excellent in identifying the carnal man. He really had a revelation of the subtle workings of the carnal nature of man, and, of course, the cross was always the answer. And uh, I think... Uh, Above all things he taught me, and many things he taught me, prayer, waiting on God in prayer, consecration, and so forth. Uh, But he taught me, really, that the release of the life of Jesus in us comes through the death of the carnal man. It's as we're crucified with Christ that Christ lives ever more fully in us and through us, and therefore ministers ever more effectually to others.
1: Mm. You, you remind me of um, George Müller, who was asked towards the end of his life. Obviously, uh, from Bristol, set up the orphanages in yes. the 1900s. Um, yeah. Who was asked that question towards the end of his life? You know, looking back on your life, you know, what can you can you identify a time that enabled you to do what you have been able to do, which was incredible in, in housing 2,000 orphans and feeding them and educating them, whatever? And he replied, "Yes, I can." It was the day that I died to George Muller.
2: Exactly right. I think Hudson Taylor came to the same place of abiding. And uh, this was the central message, really, living the life of another. Uh, He said, it's not hard to be a Christian, it's impossible. (laughs) And what he meant by that was, Christ has to live his life through us. Someone once asked a dear pastor, uh, just casually says, uh, the question was the Holy Ghost and so forth, uh, he said, can I go to heaven without the Holy Ghost? And the pastor B.H. replied, I wouldn't even go down the post office without him. <laughs> <That's
1: funny>. <laughs> <laughs> lovely, isn't that lovely? Yeah. Now, you, you've got lots of different hobbies and interests. Um, I just want to ask a, a couple of them. If a, you're, you're a man who loves the outdoors, uh, telling people about Jesus at open-air meetings. Yes. I mean, for some, this would fill people with horror to, to even consider that. Um, but obviously, this is something that, that you feel called to do. Tell us a, a little bit, just uh, briefly, about, about your work in open-air settings and meetings.
2: Yes, Nigel, it started very, very early on. It was in me from the start. And uh, I lived in Glastonbury, and there's a very famous Glastonbury Festival, actually held in Pilton, a it's near Glastonbury. And I remember distinctly one morning, must have been a half term, perhaps, or whenever in June, perhaps it was. I think they had the festival. Uh, I felt the Holy Ghost saying, "Go down to the lanes in Pilton and give a word." of course my response was I'm not doing that
1: and that's not in the Bible Lord I don't see that in the Bible
2: (laughs) Um, but in the end I went I can't remember much of what I said but uh, I suppose like the Apostle Paul not like him in any sense really I would say whether I do this willingly or unwillingly uh, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel I don't claim to be an evangelist I do the work of one. But I suppose my uh, principal driving force in this is uh, what happened to me can happen to anyone. And being 38 years in a world increasingly going crazy, uh, suffering depression and so forth, and all the typical signs of uh, many in our time, I suppose just the excitement of uh, wanting someone else to catch this, you know. Uh, It's not so much a question of, uh, I preach from the scriptures, but not so much a reasoning from scripture uh, to convince them that they need to be saved. Uh, I tend to use quite a bit of testimony and weave in the scriptures into that and uh, demonstrate how what's happened and what can happen, what God desires to happen is thoroughly and completely based in the Scriptures. Yeah,
1: and we'll talk a, a little bit about that in, in, in a moment. I, I but just
2: would have to say I'm not uh, primarily um, a current issue preacher, if you'd understand what I mean. I believe in preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. Mm. The bank manager, the headmaster, Mr. Average, Mr. Decent, Mrs. Decent, he Christ... Just as much as the man who may be seen as the obvious sin, and it's the gospel
1: for all. Mm, amen to that. Um, you, you, you. Sometimes you take time. Uh, you lay aside everything mm. to go and wait on the Lord, like a sort of a retreat time, uh, um, taking time away. Uh, obviously, the Lord is our example in that. Um, how do you do this? Where, where do you do it? And and how's the Lord used these times in your life?
2: Sometimes uh, Anne and I have gone literally away and stayed in a guest house or bed and breakfast somewhere. Uh, we'll go out of season generally, not in the summertime. And we divide uh, our time between personal time, uh, together fellowship in prayer, and some Uh, just coming aside a while to rest. Uh, But I suppose the objective is to try and switch off every switch, every knob, every channel of everyday life and just allow the Lord to minister uh, to us. Uh, It's almost like uh, the spin dryer is is spinning all the clothes are in there and you just throw the switch, and, s- and everything comes to a halt. <laughs> and you can see what a sock is, and what a vest is, and what a shirt is. It's no longer a jumble. <laughs> it's a very poor analogy, but it, it's almost throwing the switch on the demands of life, letting all the dust settle, and saying, Lord, speak to me. And so we spend time, of course, in worshiping word of God in prayer, in seeking God, on specific issues, on direction for example uh, but I suppose the richness is that God will sometimes just drop something in. One of the things that's really been a benefit is this to realise that God just wants us to spend time with him. Wow. He sometimes said to me, look son you've asked me this, you're seeking for this you want this and you're, you're inquiring about this, I just want you to spend time with I just want you to sit, uh, let's say, on this seashore somewhere uh, or some lovely country place in the car. I'll take the car if Anne stays in the B&B and vice versa. And just, I'll say, thank you, Lord. That headland looks lovely. You've done a wonderful job. (laughs) And I love the look of that ocean rolling (sighs) in there, Lord. It's wonderful what you've done. Mm. Just to uh, spend, uh, can I say, a side quality time with him just because of who he is, mm. just just to share simple, sweet things with him and just, uh, in a sense, allow him uh, to minister his fullness into my heart, bring peace, bring calmness, tranquility sometimes. Lovely times, lovely times, never come back without something, mm. a nugget, you
1: know, mm. some yes.
2: fresh motive or some fresh conviction or mm. some fresh direction. Mm.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, you remind John Stott used to put the busier he got, he he would tell his secretary to put um, uh, what he called Q days into his diary, quiet days yes. where he, you know, and, and in a sense, from a worldly perspective, you think, what the busier you are, you need to, you know, you can't. How on earth could you have a day aside? But, but the busier he got, he would put those additional days in, and I think that's uh, that's a tough thing to do because, of course, everything screams at you not to do that. Yes. Uh, but actually, you're It's part of your worship, I guess, and you're you're demonstrating how worthy God is in order to be prepared to do that. Beautiful.
2: sometimes with the old-fashioned practice of fasting, uh, which does bring down the carnal man somewhat, Mm. and uh, prayer and fasting is obviously given to us by the Lord. It's a source of power, of course,
1: with the powers of darkness in that. Mm. Now... um, this uh, this podcast is called The Bible and Me <laughs> uh, as a ministry Preset Ministries uh, we, we have a heart to equip people with skills and tools to be able to study the word of God and, and it's so wonderful when you see people um, being given those tools and in, in a sense employ those tools and uh, I know in my own life it turned the bible from black and white to colour as we started to study um, uh, now you're a pastor you love the word of God what, why is the Bible so important to you?
2: first and foremost Nigel I would say very simply it is the word of the Lord there's no other book which has that claim and could have that claim well some claim it of course but they're false it is the word quintessentially the word of the Lord a revelation of the character of conduct of Almighty God. Uh, It's also, of course, a revelation uh, very much of the nature of man and the shortfall of man's nature and the wonderful uh, dealings of God with man and his immense love and desire uh, to have his creation dwell with him forever. Uh, I would say, and again I to tread on anybody's grass particularly but I do feel in our time we have lost the absolutes of the word of God it's become a little bit negotiable, a little bit debatable um, but I do believe in the absence of the word of God and the pulpit should stand upon the absence of the word of God mm. as God reveals mm.
1: yeah, now m- How important is the teaching and the preaching of God's word, uh, particularly in the times in in which we live at the moment?
2: Paramount, Um, as always, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And a nation uh, without the word of God, we've been blessed with an open word for centuries, as you know, and it's to our shame, this nation really was to my shame for those 38 years I never read the Bible I never had reference to it yet the Bible was there open and available easily to me but a nation without the word of God is moving into ever increasing darkness And so I feel the preacher in this time has a very great responsibility and I would say at this point that Uh, in my own uh, it's not really my ministry it's his ministry but the ministry God has given me it's really pulling down from heaven in those times of waiting what God wants to say Um, I've said this many times I could preach every day of the year a perfectly accurate and orthodox Bible message and never really say what God wants to say Hmm. and I do believe in the preacher uh, waiting upon the Lord, saying, Lord, what do you want to say? What's your point in this? What do the people need in this? And uh, I think there's a great responsibility to stand for truth in a nation, and let's face it, in some branches, sadly, of the professing church, uh, I think of Second Timothy chapter 4, uh, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But of course, Paul's exhortation is still, preach the word, (laughs) the in-season and out-of-season. And somebody once said to D.L. Moody, rebuking him, you know, you bring the word of God in everywhere. It's (laughs) embarrassing sometimes. Uh, Moody said, well, I only preach the word on the two occasions... Given to me in scripture, the man said, what are those? He said, in season and out of season. Brilliant. The word is never not the answer. There is a wisdom, of course, in bringing that word, but it's never not the answer. It's always the answer. And one's always seeking God as to how to bring. I love the word precept because that's a a Psalms 119 word, isn't it? Mm. Precepts and statutes. I love uh, how God in wisdom even though one's not quoting perhaps the Bible verse, will bring the precepts of Scripture uh, into a conversation with somebody who's unsaved, let's say, mm. on a certain issue. And it's vital uh, that the Word of God continues to be heard and learned, understood, and preached widely, and uh, especially in the times we living in. Mm.
1: Amen. Amen. And if you're listening to this and you... you um You've been inspired by what uh, Peter said there, then please do get in touch uh, with us as a ministry. Uh, we would be delighted to help you uh, wherever you are on your Christian walk, uh, even if you're not a believer at this point, but you want to find out more. Please contact us and we would be thrilled to help you. Now, um, do you, t- a tough question really, um, do you have a favorite Bible book or character?
2: Well, I did offer. <laughs> Jonah, and perhaps I was being a little eccentric there, but it is a favourite, one of the favourite books. Of course, there's many. I love the book of Esther, I love the book of Ruth, (laughs) the book of Ephesians, the Gospels, I mean, what what can one say? That's the Bible. (laughs) Uh, But I I love to preach from Jonah. There are so many lessons. I love the frankness of a man who would testify thus, because Jonah must have written the book. And uh, I find Uh, many, many, many lessons in the book of Jonah. Uh, It's not perhaps the most popular book because it really deals with man's disobedience. Mm. And it's amazing how uh, he's mentioned in dispatches in 2 Kings chapter 14. Mm -hmm. One of his prophecies comes to pass in the time of King Jeroboam II. So he's being used by God on a national level, Mm. not just to kind of give a word in a small context. And uh, the first lesson I always draw from Jonah is, uh, or the question is, how could a man so called and in touch with God possibly believe that by taking ship to Tarshish, he could avoid the call and presence of God? Because uh, we know from the second chapter where he quotes uh, from the book of Psalms, he must have known Psalms. Yes, uh, where it says, "Whither shall I flee from thy presence if I make my bed in hell and so forth, mm. and to the heavens, uh, or in the uttermost parts of the sea?" Yes, <laughs> uh, thou art there, and so um, how he ever thought, but I believe the book of Jonah also speaks much of the love of God. He was a man, uh, and for whatever reasons, which never become perhaps entirely clear, though there's glimpses in the fourth chapter. Uh, he flagrantly disobeyed the command of God. He said, I'm just not going to Nineveh, I'm just not doing it, I'm not up for it. And he fled. But the love of God, the persistence of God in pursuing that man through uh, the crisis and trauma of chastisement, I think is a remarkable testimony of God's persistence and love. Uh, you have to be willing. We learn that Jonah was willing realized this was chastisement, and was prepared to have himself flung over the side of the ship and so forth and all that followed but uh, how God pursued him and so many lessons um, I would say this I I really believe and I say this very gently uh, by the time he got to the fish's belly one could say this Jonah must have known that he was supernaturally preserved he was still alive he was still breathing he was still thinking, he could still pray. In an impossible situation, he was supernaturally preserved. Uh, But Jonah in the belly of the fish was going nowhere, except the fish went there, and there was no escape. And I do believe that uh, many precious Christians in some form perhaps will experience the belly of the fish from time to time. And God, in a sense, is waiting, as he waited for Jonah, uh, if you read the second chapter, you might ask the question, well, what was it triggered Jonah's release? There was no way Jonah could escape from Jaws 5. It was impossible, you know. Um, and I believe he comes to the end of that prayer uh, and God hears something very significant. Jonah says, I will pay that that I have vowed. Mm. Salvation is of the mm. I believe at that point, uh, or before that point, maybe. God had said to that fish, head for the shoreline near to Nineveh. This man's about to be released. (laughs) Uh, But I preach much on this, how important what we say is. Wonderful. What had Jonah said to God? Oh, I'll go wherever you send me. I'll say what you give me to say. I've heard Christian precious people say that. And uh, we know from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, God says to the angel, write that down, would you? Did you hear what that man said? Hear what that woman said? Write that down. They'll go anywhere. They'll say anything. And uh, I've been there myself, uh, Brother Nigel. Um, I have to watch what I say. Mm. Ask Jephthah when you get up there how seriously God takes the vow. And uh, it's a wonder. There's so many lessons. And uh, even after uh, he's coughed up by the fish, um, uh, another thing you can learn is there's no plan B. Plan A was go to Nineveh and preach the preaching I have given. Mm. He refused. God took him down to the depths of the sea, put him in the fish's belly. Uh, Eventually was coughed up on the shoreline. God comes to him. It's not, uh, well, here's something else. No. God simply says, right,
1: James. Same message. Go to Nineveh (laughs) and
2: (laughs) preach the message I have given. It's a wonderful lesson Mm. in realizing Mm. God loves us. He's very patient. He's
1: very long-suffering. But God is God. Yeah, uh, and also the other wonderful thing about that, of course, is you see God's compassion for a very wicked oh, yes. people. I mean, yes, go and preach to, to wonderful people and who are, but actually, these were a very wicked people, and we see that in the book of Nahum and how they treated yes. people. They were they were the modern day ISIS uh, uh, essentially, yes. and yet God says, "These people, I want them." To turn to me, even though they may be wicked they're, they, they're created in my image Go and speak to them And and so, you know, as you say There are so many beautiful lessons in the book of Jonah Beautiful lessons um, Okay, now what about a favourite Bible verse? Yes,
2: <laughs> it tends to be the one that's on your heart <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the one that's on my heart is... Revelation chapter 21 verse 3 and it simply says and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying behold uh, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and he God himself will be with them and be their God Uh, in the text there I'm a King James man, but uh, the and be is in italics. And so you could read that, and God Himself will be with them. They're God. It's mm. a rather wonderful emphasis there. Mm. Um, what I love about that verse is that, uh, in a sense, in a nutshell, it brings us to God's eternal desire for man. What did God create man for? What does he long for? Uh, he longs to have a kindred people uh, who will be his people and to whom he can be fully God for all eternity. And that verse to me encapsulates that thought. Um, in a sense, I suppose it simplifies. Uh, what is fast becoming a very complicated picture in our time. Uh, I don't in any sense uh, denigrate or deny the need of uh, what's being taught, uh, but, you know, end times and prophecy and the Jew and Gentile thing and the role of the Jews in the latter times, which I'm you know, uh, looking for their future. But all of the stuff that goes on, at the end of the day, it comes down to this. Uh, that God, by his Son, has produced, if that's the right word, a people kindred to himself, uh, conformed to the likeness of God's dear Son, conformed to the image of the Son of God, conformable, of course, unto his death. Christ's likeness, a family likeness, is formed in them, And with that people, God intends to spend his eternity. Uh, he's in eternity, we know that. But he wants that people to spend eternity with him, and for them to be his people, God to be among them, and for him to be fully and revealingly God to them. (laughs) And to me, that's a wonderful, simple thing, uh, how God longs for that intimacy, that fellowship. He longs to reveal himself to us. He longs for us to spend time with him now. Uh, You know, and when we get to to heaven, into eternity, as as such, in the (laughs) eternal ages for that to be a continuation of what God actually desires after all the church is a dwelling place of God by his spirit uh, that's what he defines it as in one sense that he wants to dwell with that people he's conforming to the image of his son
1: Yeah. well there is no question in my mind as I see you sitting here um, that I uh, see the spirit of God on a man who has um, Sought to tell others about the love of the Lord, and who has experienced that love um, in his own life, um, and been literally transformed from, as you said, that man for th- after thirty-eight years to a new creation. And um, thank you for um, your encouragement. Thank you for your words. Thank you for the scriptures that you have mentioned. Uh, I know that you have um, future speaking engagements coming up quite soon, so I would just want to uh, pray God's blessing on those. Uh, that as you go in many different places, that God would continue to use you mightily uh, to turn the hearts of the people back to Him. So uh, I just want to say um, it's been a real pleasure and also a privilege to just, you know, uh, listen to what you have to say. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast today. It's been
2: a wonderful bless you
0: in your Amen. You've been listening to the Bible and Me podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave a rating or review. If you want to find out more about Precept Ministries UK, visit www. Precept.org.uk. Thank you.